When I ask folks to tell me what they consider to be the single biggest sign of a thriving nonprofit, I get a bunch of different answers. A big cash reserve, a board that fundraises, a charismatic executive director, head of school or CEO, annual revenue that grows year after year, innovative programming that secures press or awards. These are all very good answers, but they're not the core one. I believe the metrics above are the outcomes of the correct answer. For me, the correct answer is a strong partnership between the staff leader and the board leader. Think twin engine jet. One engine is the board, one is the staff. And in that cockpit is the executive director, the head of school or the CEO, and the board chair. If the partnership is strong, passengers get a ride that feels joyful and meaningful, and they arrive at their destination on time, on budget, and knowing that they have together made a difference in the lives of the folks they serve. But it's easier said than done, isn't it? I actually became a certified mediator because I found myself far too often mediating disputes between heads of schools and board chairs, between CEOs of advocacy organizations and their board chairs. I found this fascinating. I wanted to explore it. What makes it work? What are the challenges? What does success look like? So I went out and found me some co-pilots, a head of school and her board chair. So if you would, see that your seat belt's so securely fashioned and your seat backs in their forward and upright position, we are number one for takeoff. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. In the cockpit today, for today's flight, are Kim Friedman, head of school at New Garden Friend School in Greensboro, North Carolina, and her co-pilot, board chair, Nick Perrington. Kim is just finishing her first six months on the job, and Nick has been board chair for a while now, probably longer, um, <laughs> it probably feels longer than it actually has been. Um, let me tell you just a little bit about each of them. Um, Kim came from the for-profit sector uh, and moved into the nonprofit sector in a variety of different ways. She started an ADHD camp uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina, did a lot of work for higher ed in communications and social media, and became the director of admissions at New Garden Friends School, where her kids attended and one still attends, and recently was hired as the head of school. Nick is an attorney who founded Purrington Moody Weil, a firm with offices in Greensboro and in New York, specializing in representing private investment fund managers. He's also a strategic advisor to the Center for Board Excellence, a corporate governance company that conducts board evaluations, streamlines inefficient, historically paper-based processes. Um, so these are your co-pilots on today's flight. And uh, my job today is pretty simple. I want to get a sense from them about what works, what makes a good partnership. But first, a quick word about New Garden Friends. It's a K-12 Quaker school in Greensboro, North Carolina. When I did my homework, I found out that its history is really interesting. It was founded by Bruce Stewart, who recently retired as the head of one of the most prestigious private Quaker schools in the country, Sidwell Friends. 
The new garden journey began not long after the Greensboro lunch counter sit-ins. Stewart was an educator and along with a colleague founded the school believing that educating kids from differing backgrounds in a positive, affirming, and safe environment would be an important step in the battle to eliminate racism. When you put it like that, it feels like quite a big job and it feels like you're standing on pretty big shoulders. So welcome, Kim. Welcome, Nick. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thanks. So each of you heard what I said at the top of the podcast uh, about this notion that this relationship, this partnership is the critical one in the health of a nonprofit. Is that how you see the relationship? I mean, lots of folks push back on me and say, Joan, uh, no, I, look at the org chart. Kim works for me. Or Kim could say, you know, the board doesn't know what happens here every day. Nick is a great chair, but in the cockpit? I'm not so sure. I'd put him in first class, of course. <laughs> so can each of you describe this partnership? And Nick, I'd like to start with you. Sure, sure. I, I, I agree with you that I think that this partnership is, is critical to the, the health of any not-for-profit organization. And, and I really liked your description of the relationship as, as co-pilots, but, but Kim's definitely the lead pilot. Um, and while you're correct that, you know, Kim was hired and is accountable to the board, you know, we hired her for, for a purpose, uh, to lead New Garden Friends School and to run the day-to-day -day operations of the school. I, I view my role much more as a, a co-pilot or wingman whose kind of job is really to provide my head with the support that she needs, um, you know, as and when she needs it. Good. Kim, what about you? Um, I like the co-pilot analogy, but uh, when those yellow masks sometimes drop down, I wish there was someone sitting next to me. But it may be a while before I can get in touch with Nick, and I have to land that plane solo. <laughs> so I started thinking about it, and I, I think I think of us more as like the stage manager and the producer. On a daily basis, I've got the cast and the crew to manage and an audience to think about. The producer is concerned about all of those constituencies, but he doesn't have to manage them. But he keeps funds coming in and makes sure that I have what I need to do my job. If we bomb in Philly, it's definitely both of our necks. But if we make it to Broadway, that would be great. Let me um, let me ask you, Nick. Um, so I, I joke around a lot about how people become board chairs and that one of the um, uh, one of the most common ways that they become board chairs is that they um, make the unfortunate mistake of going to the restroom when the vote is taken and um, are voted in unanimously by their colleagues. And when did you become the board chair of New Garden Friends? Um, why did you become the board chair of New Garden Friends? And then um, what's the experience been like for you? Sure. Um, I've, I've been... Uh, chair of our board for almost two years. Um, I, I think that, uh, I think maybe to, to, to understand kind of why and how I became board chair, we really need to kind of roll back the clock and, and uh, talk about how I came to be on the board in the first place. Um, Good. Uh, and because and, this, is, this is my second term on the board. And when I joined the board initially, it was, it was really because of the incredible faculty at New Garden Friends School. 
know, the culture of our school is, you know, as you said, infused with Quaker principles where each person is respected. And, and I saw this being lived out on a daily basis, you know, in my kids' classrooms with the teachers modeling respect to their students and really uh, genuinely valuing their achievements uh, and creating a really supportive uh, and healthy learning environment. I also saw the teachers, you know, working with my eldest son who's on the spectrum, you know, celebrating his gifts and really helping him to address some of his challenges. And uh, I just saw this, uh, you know, living out, uh, you know, in daily practice, the mission of our school. Um, so really it was the, the belief in the mission of our school and my love for the institution and its people that led me to join the board in the first place. Um, at the, at the end of my prior term, I actually led a, a search committee to replace a long-term head who was, you know, pretty well loved by the, uh, you know, by the entire school community. We had, we had been very fortunate to, to have been led for almost 20 years by uh, uh, two men who, uh, who led the school from, you know, the uh, mid-1990s uh, through, uh, uh, through around 2000. And, and, and 12 and so it was time to, to find a new person and so I led that process. Unfortunately the new head was hired away by another school um, which resulted in a three-year period where the leadership of the school has been in flux. So I came back yeah. onto the board um, really you know for the same reason that I joined the board in the first place it was because of my belief in the mission of the school and love for the institution um, and really hopefully to provide some stability during a period of transition. Um, I was asked to be board chair and, uh, and I said yes uh, for, for those reasons. Uh, you know, I'm extremely uh, thankful that we've hired Kim who, uh, you know, who has these connections that run back 17 years with the school and, and I'm confident that with, with, with her we found the stability and leadership that, that's going to allow the school to thrive going on into the future. So before I turn to Kim, um, <clears throat> it's hard often, it's often hard to get really great people to step into leadership positions on boards. Um, and you described a pretty bumpy, kind of a bumpy ride after your long-term head of school left. Um, <clears throat> And, and I think this is one of the things that, that scares people off from big leadership positions is that they already have big day jobs. <laughs> and um, being a board chair is like signing up for a second day job. And during leadership transitions or bumpy phases of, a, of an institution's trajectory, like you're, you're, it's not just a day job. You're, like, you're working overtime. And... Um, how do you how do you manage the balance? And I did hear I I will tell you I I did hear Kim make a note about this. You know sometimes Nick's not easy to get you know sometimes that board, your board chair is not easy to get a hold of. So how do you just really quickly how do you sort of make the time to be a good board chair? Okay, so that's a question for me and not Kim. Um, that is a question for you and not Kim. Yes, it, it's difficult. I mean, it, 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 as I'm trying, I'm in, in the process of you know running running my own business, um, but uh, you know, and, and there are only so many hours in the day. But you 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 make the time uh, that that needs to be made available. I think that's one of the most critical things that you can do uh, as a board chair, particularly with a um, you know a new executive director or head of school. Um, 
developing that relationship and 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 uh, from from the very beginning, uh, there's there's no replacement for time. So you have to you have to make it. You have to find it, um, which means that you have to sacrifice other other aspects of of your life. Um, I'm not actually going to ask you which aspects of your life you sacrifice because. <laughs> That feels like something you should take up with some other kind of professional. Um, what, what I, what I, um, what I might say though is I, I find that the best board chairs are often the busiest people. Um, my best board chair, um, if you had looked at her schedule, you would say this woman should not be a board chair. She does not have time. But there is a, uh, was there some saying if you want to get something done, give it to the busiest person in the room, um, and. Um, uh, so, you know, I think, I, I do think it is, um, it can be very hard to, uh, to sort of manage it. The other thing I just wanted to say too, is having been on a board, like f folks like you, Nick, you're accustomed to doing a really good job. Like when you hand in a book report, you know, you're accustomed to getting an A on it. You're accustomed to getting hundreds on your tests. And I generally find that volunteers and boards, board members and board chairs are, in fact, uber volunteers. Um, they're accustomed to performing at a very high level, and it can be really frustrating not to perform at that level. And I remember being a board member and thinking, you know, I'm just really not doing such a good job. Like, I'm not giving it all I got. But I was given all I had. I, I was giving it all I had, and I had to sort of get comfortable with playing like at a B plus level instead of an A level. And I, I, I just wonder, just actually curious whether you experience that and whether you experience that as you um, manage and lead board members as well. I, I think absolutely. You know, um, look, I don't, I don't uh, like failing, um, and. Uh, and I like giving 100, percent you know, to to kind of every endeavor. But it is, you know, the, the biggest challenge for me is trying to find the time. And you know, particularly with you know, with our school where it is now, and with you know, the 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 flux and in, in the leadership, uh, it's required uh, you know a whole lot more time uh, than than hopefully it will next year. Uh, you know, once Kim's got a year under her belt. Um, in terms of guiding the institution, um, but you know, you, you make the time. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there are only twenty four hours in a day, so you, you make the time that you have. But I absolutely always have that um, that feeling that I could do something better, uh, should have done something better, should have done something differently. But you know, hopefully, that's uh, part of what uh, what what makes me a you know. A, a halfway decent board chair. Uh, I'll let yeah, Kim, I think that's Kim right. comment on that. A little more than that. Yeah, we're gonna ask we're gonna ask Kim if you if you toggled more than halfway or less than halfway in just a second. So sit tight on that. Um, and um, but I think it is actually a, a, a very important component to the running of a nonprofit or an institution of education is recognizing. So many, so many times, people, staff leaders, are really frustrated with their boards and frustrated with their board members, and um, and sometimes they have good cause to be. But sometimes it's actually just about what they're able to do, given the fact that they are in fact volunteers. Um, I want to shift over to Kim for a minute. Um, 
Kim and I have a um, similar trajectory in the in that both of us came from corporate America into the nonprofit space. And I wondered um, your corporate experience um, has it added value to your ability? Um, I wanted to ask to sort of run the organization, but more importantly, um, to relate to the board. I found that I find often that staff leaders with no corporate experience find their board members alien. Maybe is a little too strong a word, but <laughs> um, but like maybe intimidating or just really different. And I wondered if you think that the corporate experience helps you relate to partner with manager board. I think it does. I think it, it I think it's huge. Um, one of, one of the things that I'm very, very comfortable with is looking at things from, you know, both an operational perspective and a financial perspective and, you know, sort of the human capital perspective. And I think, that the the people that are on our board, because they're volunteers, you know, and, and Nick leading it, I'm very conscious of the fact that they are volunteers. So when I ask them for time, I try to, you know, sort of bring my best game just the way I had to when I was asking our CEO when I was, you know, at a Fortune 500 company. If I had a meeting with that CEO, I was going to be uber prepared and I was going to make sure all my ducks were in a row before I got there. So you don't walk in without bringing your best game. Excellent. All right. So um, we're going to play a little game now because I, I like games. And actually, in my next life, I plan to come back as a game show host. Um, just, <laughs> just to forewarn you all. Um, okay. So we're going to pretend that this is kind of like the newlywed game. Because in some ways, right, this partnership's relatively new. You were the director of admissions. Nick was the board chair. Um, but this is a this is a relatively you're six months into uh, into uh, you, you're kind of newlyweds. So <clears throat> I want you to pretend that you're in a soundproof booth, but don't go into one because <laughs> then my listeners won't hear you. Um, and I want you to take like like one minute and think about. Maybe two words, maybe one or two words. I don't know. Not three. <laughs> that you believe is key to a successful partnership between the staff and the board leader. What do you think are the kind of the keys to the car here? Take a second, um, and then and then I'm going to ask you. To, to, I'm going to trust that you're going to reveal your own answers. I was going to say raise your hand when you're done, but no one would <laughs> yeah, but see I, that. And I okay, certainly my, was. My hand it. is raised. My hand is raised. All right, Nick, is your hand up? Yep. Wow, you guys are quick. Yeah, we're quick. All right, so it's time to reveal. Nick, what did you write down? Communication. He stole my okay. word. <laughs> Kim, what what did you write down? Communication. <laughs> he stole my word. <laughs> you both wrote down just one word, communication. Yeah, well, I did write down another word, too. Authenticity. Are you leave us in suspense, or are you going to tell know. us? Authenticity. That was my other word. Authenticity. Okay. Yep. Authenticity. Um, so there's a word I thought maybe one of you would write down that you didn't, and, and there, I'm not taking any points off or anything. It's not like a test. Um, 
I thought one of you might write down the word trust. Reactions? For me, that's like so implied, I guess. And I guess for me, you know, communication, you know, encompasses authenticity and trust. It's, it, you know, it has to be, you know, it has to be authentic communication and, and, and in order for the communication to, uh, you know, to really be successful, uh, you know, the parties that are communicating with each other, you know, have to have a common goal and, and, and they have to trust uh, that the other the other party, uh, the other co-pilot sitting in the cockpit with them, um, is on the same page and and is is dedicated to the institution. So, trust is 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 a good one, but maybe it's uh, that I, you know, it, it it so underlies my relationship with Kim that I didn't feel like I needed to say it. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, um, I could also say that another word, another another word. I don't know that the the uh, the stage manager and the producer or the the co-pilots can be successful partners if they don't have an equal wild passion for the mission of the school. Yeah, I absolutely for so, the mission of whatever whatever it is that your nonprofit, whatever client it serves, or or that's correct. Whatever. That's correct. Yeah. I think so. I think trust. I think communication is shared, ridiculous passion for the work that you do. That's in the service of the clients or community that you serve, um, and um, I think a shared. You know, I, I don't know. What do you think about what do you think about the a shared vision for where you want the school to go? Um, do you think that that do you think that that's a relevant part of the partnership? I think that's a product of the communication. You know, I, I, I don't know that you know that. You don't, you might know where you want it to be. But again, I think as you, as you share things with each other and talk about it, you might find it's not exactly what you were thinking or exactly, in, in, our, in my case, what Nick was thinking. But together we'll, you know, forge that path it is so easy to screw up communication that, um, I mean, I think it's an ongoing challenge to not only, you know, as you can probably hear, right? Nick is like a person of few words. <laughs> I am not a person <laughs> of few words. Um, so I really value people who cut to the chase. So I tried to do that with him, and I tried to to not blather on because I, I he doesn't have a lot of time. But all of these things, like like you said, a shared vision. If you don't get your communication first in in order, um, like if your styles don't mesh well, you're going to have to have a hard conversation. A, a hard conversation is a good thing to have because if you're an ED or a head of school, you're going to have to, you need a lot of practice with those anyway. Yes, I, 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 I totally agree with that. So we are, um, we are here talking with um, a board chair and a head of school, Nick Purrington, who's an attorney from Greensboro, North Carolina, also a strategic advisor to the Center of Board Excellence, which is a, a um, corporate governance company. 
and Kim Friedman, who's the head of school of New Garden Friends School in Greensboro, North Carolina, comes from a corporate background with lots of nonprofit experience and is a relatively new head of school after having served as the director of admissions as well as an interim co-head, which actually be a, probably an interesting subject for an, another podcast of what what does the world of an interim look like. Um, but I'll save that for another day. Um, so let's talk about some of the words that you wrote down. Um, and seeing that you both wrote the words communication down, why don't we... Why don't we play with that for just a few minutes? Tell us what your communication looks like. Uh, how often do you meet? Who sets the agenda? How do you decide the sort of appropriate altitude of the conversation? Kim, you want to lead us off? Um, sure. Um, Nick and I meet once a week. Um, it is We have found it better for both of us to do that over the weekend. Some people probably don't like that idea at all. But um, he's really busy, and the school really does require me to be here and uh, uh, in, engaged as, as often as I can. So I try not to take time out of a school day to do that. Um, I, what we do is we share a document, a Google Doc, for the agenda. Um, I usually start it off, um, but we both add to that agenda, which makes it really helpful so that when we sit down, we're both prepared and I know, I know where he's coming from and he knows what I want to talk about. And the, I think our conversations are a little bit more in the weed, were a little bit more in the weeds when I first started, just because there was so much that was new. But as, as these, I've now been in the, in this position for six months, and our conversations, I don't know if you agree with this, Nick, are probably a little bit more where they need to be now because I'm more comfortable and getting my team in place and, and the day-to-day -day management of the school is not so foreign. Can I ask you, Kim, and Nick, feel free to jump in with a um, one-word answer if you like. Um, and by the way... <clears throat> An attorney who doesn't speak a lot is something that I'm not accustomed to. I just wanted to say that just for the record. <laughs> um, uh, can you give me an example? Because, you know, weeds, like this, I, I talk about this whole notion about the, the conversations have to be at the right altitude. But <clears throat> can you bring it to life for me? What's an example, if you may, Kim, of a, a, an item that's, that was on the weeds at the that was on the agenda at the beginning that you would call in the weeds and something you're talking about now that's not? I think in, in the weeds were some things early on about um, sort of micro issues in how we were going to structure the leadership of the school. And now once, once I got comfortable with what everybody was going to do and, and how we were going to meet the needs of our students at a lot of different levels, once I knew that that Nick was on the same page that I was, you know, uh, the mission of a of a Quaker school is to really acknowledge and develop the gifts of each of our students. So it's really not a one size fits all fits all venture, and sometimes that can be a little bit costly. 
So once I knew we were both on the same page about how that had to happen, now it's really about making sure, then I was able to go ahead and put a structure in place, I guess. And, and now that, I, that that structure is in place, we're really looking at more global issues. You know, we're not talking about who, who should go in what spot and what spot should actually even be there. Nick, would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I think I think that that's exactly right. I think our, our conversations now are uh, they're they're more strategic uh, focused uh, focus on you know how to uh, how to appropriately grow our board. Um, you know, some strategic planning issues. How, you know, how are we going to kind of set ourselves up and and uh, going into the future, um, which I think is probably you know where you know, most, you know, where, where, where ideally your conversations between your head and your, and your board chair should be. I, I would also think, Nick, that, um, those are more sad. Uh, well, actually, let me not lead the witness <laughs> counselor. Um, <laughs> do you find the more strategic conversations, uh, more, um, satisfying to have with Kim? I mean, they're conversations that need to be had. Um, we're still working through some issues, so I'm not sure I'm completely satisfied yet. But, uh, but, but yes, I mean, I mean, we're, well, I guess. We're, so I think what I'm trying, I guess, what I'm trying to get to is another phrase that I think about when I think about really effective partnerships. Um, is that you want your you want your head of school to to handle the day to day, and. In an ideal world, your he- your board chair is helping you think through those higher altitude issues, and um, which, frankly, I-, I generally find more rewarding for board chairs to be talking about that stuff because, you know, you re- you know you founded your own business, you run your own business, like you bring a lot to the table that isn't in the weeds at all, and Kim benefits from that. And that's when I get to this notion that a really good partnership is where um, you actually are thought partners solving problems together. Um, and I and I wonder if that's um, which yeah, leads me uh, sort of to no, go ahead, I, Nick. I'm sorry. I think I think I think you're right. I mean, I think that you know when when you're dealing with when 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 the conversation gets down into the weeds, uh, you know, and and and. and just given the nature of, of life, uh, conversations will get down into the weeds from time to time, and they need to get down into the weeds, um, particularly when your head is um, is struggling with a particular issue. Then you know you need to step down and 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 help her, uh, you know, get out of the weeds and maybe maybe uh, you know. You, hopefully give some perspective on, on those things. But, you know, those are, those are day-to-day things and hopefully you solve a problem and you move on. And, but, but I think your, your point that, you know, focusing on the longer term, the strategic vision for the organization is, is, you know, that's, that's why I joined the board in the first place was to make sure that the school, um, would, uh, would, would really thrive and, uh, and, and grow and, and, and be around for generations. Um, so, I I think that's where I'm really lucky. Is is Nick will 
come down in the weeds with me, but he's not trying to take over. He's, you know, willing to listen and to give me good advice, but doesn't have any interest in trying to manage the day to day. He's trying to give me more tools to do that. Yeah, that's a delicate balance, isn't it? Because because generally, again, you know, high performing people who decide to join boards are problem solvers, and it's and it can be hard not to get in the weeds with somebody and say, "Well, can't you?" See the answer is six, right? <laughs> like right. it has to be six, <laughs> right? Right. Right. Um, um, tell me about this. Is a, another uh, just a time for a couple more questions. Um, I see clients all the time who believe that it is their job as a staff leader to present completed homework that just kind of looks terrific and has all the problems solved. And when I, when I give speeches, I, I don't sing the song, please don't, that don't nobody bring me no bad news, but I have <laughs> been inclined to want to, um, do you feel comfortable, Kim, bringing um, bringing Nick bad news? Are there times when you feel like I really I really shouldn't say this because it may reflect poorly on me? No, I mean I don't know. Maybe I should. Um, I I don't. I I don't. <laughs> um, I I think that I really do try to. You know, when I was in corporate America, you know, one of the things you learn really on really, I mean, that you learn really early on is not to walk into your supervisor's office with a problem and try to dump it on their desk. You know, you better walk in there with a solution. So I try not to, you know, bring an issue and just kind of dump it and, and expect Nick to fix it, you know. Um, but I will bring him this is what I'm thinking. And, and sometimes I'll bring him, this is how I screwed up. I mean, I think, I think the, and this is why I know I screwed up and this is how I think, you know, I, I, I made good on it or, or tried to try to try to fix it. One of the great things about not having a judgmental board chair and having a partner, and as you've said, a thought partner is that, we can go from maybe not handling something perfectly to doing much better the next time very quickly because neither of us spend a lot of time, you know, trying to figure out whose fault something was. You know, we really want to move forward. And I think I'm incredibly lucky in that way because Nick is not a person that ever is looking for like, well, geez, you really screwed this up. You know, he's really like, okay, how can we move forward from this? You know, and what can I do to help? So, so Joan, I, I didn't know that I could tell my board chair not to bring me bad news. Is that, is that an option? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but seriously, uh, Seriously. Actually, yeah, you should you should want Kim to bring you more good news than bad news. I'm thinking that's that's something that you, the two of you are aspiring to, based on what we you know, are aspiring to. That. We are absolutely aspiring to that, but no bad no bad news is not realistic. And if if everything were kind of peaches and cream, then I think there probably would be some problem in the communication. Um, you know, and and. Uh, 
because they're, you know, and bad news kind of can, it's, it, it, you know, it varies, you know, in, in, in degree, right? Um, but, you know, you're, every organization is going to come up with a challenge. And if you don't kind of, if you're not open about what the challenge is, then it's very hard to solve it uh, and, and address it. And, and so, yeah, and, and, and it, it helps because there are certain things as a head of school that Kim can't really talk with anybody else in the school about, or you know, even people on her uh, on her leadership team sometimes, and and so, you know, she is reliant upon me as as her board chair in those situations to, you know, to listen and and try and help her think through uh, the best way to handle particular situations, um, even though you know we all wish maybe that those situations weren't. Uh, you know, we didn't have to deal with them, but the fact is, is that we did. Well, and I, 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 again, I also think too, um, that the key to a really strong board is, uh, inspiring them, enriching them and engaging them. And that if you do those three things right, you can actually ignite them to be the best ambassadors they can be for New Garden French School. And, I, I think staff leaders often totally miss the boat on this, that if you wrap up everything in a really nice tight, uh, you know, wrap everything beautifully with a nice bow and you present it to your board, you're not engaging them. If you sit there and say, here are the two big things that are kind of keeping me up at night and I'd really like to dig into them with you and get some Good. of your best thinking, as long as the altitude is right, like <sighs> that's why people join boards, right? So I think, you know, it's... You know, part of that is is all the you know it's 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 a whole systemic thing, uh, a, a nonprofit or a school. It's a big organism, and that all these things are tied together in really intrinsic ways. We're just at about uh, the time where either someone has already arrived at work, having listened to you um, <laughs> during their commute, or they have just climbed off the elliptical machine. Um, so. Um, I want to just ask uh, one last question to each of you, which is, um, you know, I got a lot of people listening here who are staff leaders. I've got board leaders who are listening. Um, any last words of advice from each of you about sort of either you have a brand new, because change is the constant here, right? You, you might have a staff leader who stays 20 years, Average tenure, maybe five to seven years. But your board chairs, if you have term limits, they switch out quite a lot. So the partnership changes a lot. Words of advice for getting this partnership off on a good foot. Let me hear from each of you, and then we'll let you go back to your, um, to Kim, to your day job, and Nick, to both of your day jobs. <laughs> you want me to go first? Yeah, go first, Kim. Okay, okay. I... I I think the the best possible way to start is to err as an ED or the head of school is to err on the side of over preparation, you know, um, to be candid. I also think it's really important to say thank you. Um, in my case, and this is probably true for many of your listeners, as you've said a number of times today, you know, their board chairs already have a really demanding job and, they took this additional incredibly demanding job because they believe in, you know, what like Nick believes in what we do at school. Your listeners, their their board people believe in in the mission of their organizations. And 
I think it's really important to make sure that you give your board chair and your board members regular opportunities to stay in touch with what's core to the mission because they deserve, they do so much work, they deserve to experience some of the joy that led them to the organization in the first place. Good. Nick, you get the last word. Okay. I guess to the board chair, I would say, you know, be available. Um, I think this is especially important at the outset of a relationship. Um, and by being available, I mean listening um, deeply to, to, to your uh, executive director or, or head of school. Um, respect the operational authority of, of, of the new staff leader. And that's why you hired him or her in the first place. And so don't, don't try and micromanage. Don't get where you don't belong. And, uh, and I think uh, keep the mission of the organization at the forefront of, 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 your, of your mind in, in connection with all, all conversations. To, to the staff leader, I would just say don't think that you're all alone. Uh, I think a lot of people come in, they're hired as, you know, and, and they come in and they think, okay, I've, there's, there's all these new people. I've got to learn everything. Uh, everything's on my shoulders. And, and, you know, the board's hired you for that purpose, but the board's there to support you. So communicate with your board chair and your board. Uh, it's their job to provide you with the support you need to make your organization uh, you know, thrive going into the future. So, ha so ask for help when you need it. You yeah, and keep the mission obviously at the forefront. The um, I think those are both great pieces of advice. And I think the last thing I would say is that that there's um, the staff leader has a set of responsibilities. The board leader has a set of responsibilities. But there is it, it's not it's not like a whole wall. You know, what I mean? between them, it's 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 much more porous than that whether it comes to, gee, Kim has identified somebody who would make a great board member, or who's going to be the committee chairs, what does the leadership pipeline look like? These are things that are much more porous, that are really jobs that, you know, sort of are shared, rather than you do this and I do this. And I, I always recommend that people sit down, um, maybe on a weekend, <laughs> um, <laughs> for a couple hours, and, and actually talk through the sort of where it's clear on both sides and where it's unclear. Um, and, and really talk through the, the lack of clarity and how you're going to work through that. And then the last thing, um, and maybe this is a piece of advice for the two of you for the coming academic year, sit down sometime this summer and say, as a result of our partnership, our, right, as a, as a, of this shared leadership model, um, at the end of the academic year, um, success looks like this as a result of our shared leadership. And set yourself some markers what success looks like and keep those um, kind of top of mind through the course of the year so that, you know, everybody wants to be able to know what success looks like and to be able to shoot for it. And um, success in your partnership may result in, well, should result in success for your school and certain kinds of outcomes. But I think there's also a, just as, you know, what does success look like as a result of our shared partnership as a, is a good conversation for folks to have at the outset as well. So anyway, that's a that's great, my, that's great advice, Joan. Thank you so, for that. So there's my two cents, a little advice for you, a little advice for our listeners. Um, 
And um, Nick Purrington, um, thanks for uh, raising your hand to uh, to volunteer for a school I know you care a lot about. Um, but n- nonprofits don't get very far without people who raise their hands. So thank you for joining us and for raising your hand to be of service to the school. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, and Kim. Um, yep. Stay on Thanks, that fucking Joan. Bronco. <laughs> Thanks, Joan. This was great. It was helpful. Thank you to very us much for joining us, both of you. Um, and um, for my listeners, uh, uh, I hope you've actually enjoyed the conversation and um, that you took some notes and thought a little bit about uh, the relationship you have um, at the top of your organization and how um, what Kim and Nick said might uh, add some value t- as you sort of try to work to build something strong at the top because when it's strong at the top, the organization thrives. Um, Until next time, this is Joan Gary, and don't forget to um, uh, poke over to my blog at joangary.com. That's G-E-A-R-R-Y dot com. Subscribe to my blog. Lots Lots of good podcasts up on iTunes on a variety of topics. Um, And um, there's always this new book I wrote, which you can find on Amazon.com. I wanted to call it Nonprofits Are Messy, but I was told that um, it would be better to call it Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. So that's what it's called. You can find it on Amazon. And until next time, thank you so much for all that you do. Um, We'll see you next time. Nonprofits Are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.